Let's move the show on then, dear folks, on now the segment of the Global Watch, Economic Community of African States, the Summit Outcomes. Now, the 64th Ordinary Session of the Authority of ECOWAS, that's the Economic Community of West African States, the heads of government, heads of state in the Ghanaian capital, Accra, concluded where a number of critical decisions had to be made. The region currently experiences rising insecurity in the Sahel and questions over how the bloc will move to restore civilian rule following three separate military coups across the region in the last few years. The West African bloc session resolutions include the lifting of sanctions on Mali's military regime, accepting a 24 a March 2024 return to civilian rule and agreed to allow Burkina Faso for two years of its own for a transition back to democracy. The economic and financial sanctions prohibited or prohibiting the trade of goods and closed borders between Mali and its neighbors, with exception for food, fuel, and medicine, has been lifted. Burkina Faso and other Sahel country caught up in the jihadist turmoil, and Guinea have so far only been suspended from the bodies of the 15-nation bloc. All of these issues, the question is the stability of the region. What lessons this might yield for the African Union at large, and for the developing questions continuously of the African continent and geopolitical issues in that regard. So let's unpack some of these issues perhaps in the time that we do have with Advocate Tapiwa Chadja, who's an Afro expert and a legal practitioner and an activist in transnational issues. Tapiwa, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to SAFM. Good evening. Thank you for having me. This is my first time on SAFM. Good evening, good morning uh, la, to the la. listeners of SAFM across the length, the width of the globe. We certainly do appreciate that and welcome certainly my listeners, or shall I say our listeners, I beg your pardon for personalizing <laughs> it, but our listeners will make sure yeah. that we both keep awake in this conversation. Perhaps we should just talk about the sentiment on the ground in the ECOWAS region. It is a powerful block on the continent. It has a lot of influence and sway. And it holds a strategic position, really, relative to access to the transatlantic route. Of, and I'm not talking about slave trade, but access to your North and Southern America. It happens in that part of the world and with relative proximity to Europe as well. So it, it obviously is an important um, stakeholder on African affairs. Her stability of recent times has been called to question nonetheless. Now, that is, that is correct. You know, when, when we look at the regional bodies in Africa, we, we, with all due respect, we respect the ECOWAS region because this region has been, this block has been very progressive. That is obviously in the past tense. They have been setting up policies, monetary policies. They have this brotherhood. They have this african city where they say we are a community. We believe in the spirit of Ubuntu. So this 15-member block called ECOWAS, we have countries which are closely knit together and we have put heads together and said, look, we want to improve political, social and economic stability in this region. Let's have fair uh, and free movement of people within the ECOWAS region. That's where we have the ECOWAS passport. They've got their own currency. They've got their own supporting banks in, in, in the region. You know? So they become country fresh, a slice above the rest. They are leading pack when we speak of the African politics. But of course, of course, when we speak of Africa, nothing stays permanent. There are always mm. challenges that come in. You know, 
there have been challenges that, is, that have been creeping in in the ECOWAS region. We have seen that the, the serious challenge, the serious issue that the region faces, this Sahel region, uh, is the issue of political stability coming in from an issue of security. You know, they've failed to achieve security in this sub-Saharan region of Africa and even finding cost-effective alternatives to the military. They've not been able to fight tooth and nail against the jihadist attacks. So this has then led to military juntas in some of these governments and being overthrown. And it has put the very beautiful and amazing good things that the ECOWAS region had put in place. Let's talk about some of the good things that should be in place or for a long time, relatively speaking, we're looking to be moving in the right direction. I mentioned some economic and political stability, perhaps the cessation of tensions in particular when you talk about Nigeria and Ghana. I mean, if you remember the 80s where Ghana must go, I mean, that was a slogan that was taking place. It had seemed, at least for a moment in time, that ECOWAS had put her past her worst past anyway, behind her and was in the upward trajectory. And that's precisely why they would be able to wield as much power as they would have in the African bloc of nations. But these military coups that have taken place in the last five, six years have just called to question as to the true stability of the region, perhaps also calling into question the strength of Um, the African peer review mechanism and other institutions of the African Union, NEPAD, among other things. What does this signal, not just for the bloc, though, about the true stability of Africa, African institutions, and the value of holding each other accountable, more especially in the light of the lifting of these sanctions when they could hardly have had any bite? Well, look, I don't know, but we can never speak of accountability and link it to African politics. When we speak of democracy, governance and human rights, when we speak of the Africa that we want, when we go back into 1963 and speak about the core founding ethos and principles that led and the core founding preambles, that led to the formation of the OAU, the Organization of African Union, mm-hmm. the Emancipation of Africa, taking Africa back from the close of colonialism, what the leaders who were shedding blood for the child of Africa who is here today to be able to live and have a better life, whatever the desires that we had then, even in the new African Union, the recent one, you know, which was led by Tabo Mbeki, Muammar Gaddafi, and them, even in this new African Union, as an example, we have the Africa 2063 agenda aspiration. The aspiration for 2020, as an example, was we have a gun-silent Africa. And African countries and, 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 and leaders, they said you are completely sold out in the, in the meetings they had to make sure that we want to see and to achieve this goal in 2020. So, but now, as you speak, it is in, we are in 2022. They have changed the tune to say beyond 2022, gun silent Africa beyond 2022. But there's no one who is proactive in holding one another accountable. So the issue that we have is the issue of legitimacy, a legitimacy crisis, not just in the ECOWAS region, not just in Sadiq region. We don't even begin with when it comes to the Sadiq region. When we go to the African Union, we've got the African Union, and we've got the African Commission, uh, and 
we as, as African people sometimes get confused because we go and have positions. We even have the Pan-African Parliament, you know, they don't have legislative power. We have all multiple and principal bodies. But when we look at what they do on the ground to make sure that there's a spirit of accountability, no African leaders wants to hold one another accountable. Why is that? If we, Why is it difficult to achieve that? Is, is it a function of our colonial heritage where those brotherhoods were formed in those difficult times that it becomes difficult now where the true experience of democracy, its institutions and the lived reality translating to a democracy in those nations, making it therefore difficult to hold each other accountable because of the legacies of the past. I don't imagine it's different to post-liberation organizations, for instance, that they will deliver open, close quote, deliver, and the jury's out exactly what that might mean. But for present purposes, let's just say post, I mean, liberation movements deliver democracies. And then not long after that, they wither. They wither and become the very problem that their establishment was founded upon. So the, the question that you are asking is very controversial, right? But I'm going to attack that question head on. The reason why African countries and African leaders don't account is because of the foundation which was set by the forefathers. We go back into 1963 when we formed the African Union. I say when we formed the African Union for a total emancipation of the African continent from the close of colonialism, we had Kwame Nkrumah from Ghana, who was one of the co-founding fathers. What did Kwame Nkrumah do? Kwame Nkrumah, the, he then changed the constitution in Ghana and made himself a president for life. He then died in exile in a neighboring country. We come to the country of, 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 uh, of Zambia, Dr. Kenneth Kaunda. He did the very same thing. These are the founding fathers of democracy in Africa. He changed the constitution of Zambia to become a president for life. Things didn't go very well. He got challenged. People went into the street. We go to the country of Zimbabwe, where we had Robert Mugabe. He did the very same thing. These liberation movements, their core and sole responsibility was to liberate, have that freedom to take the country back to the African child. But when it comes to the transformation of the country to make sure that we've got economic emancipation, that the African child is in possession of the means of production, is in, pro- is in possession of wealth, we're speaking of land, we're speaking of uh, farms, we're speaking of companies, we were saying, is the African child in power, in charge? The answer is no. So these founding fathers set a wrong precedent in terms of being accountable. They said we are the liberators. We will rule forever. Some would say we would rule till Jesus comes. So the military, the military takeover that happened in the African countries, where we now had the war veterans being part and parcel of the government, it leads to a serious issue of ownership where they say, we liberated the country. We took this country by the bullet. Quoting Robert Mugabe, who would say, the bullet is mightier than the pen, meaning that you cannot take a country, if you're an opposition party, you cannot take a country using the pen, using the ballot, when they took the country from the Smith regime, from the former colonial master, using the barrel of the gun, using the bullet. That brings in the spirit of ownership. 
And these liberation movements, they then support one another. They then do not hold one another accountable. We go into the country of Angola. May you so rest in peace. Former President Jose Eduardo dos Santos. 38 years he was ruling in the rich oil country of Angola. But we know the serious issues of nepotism. We know what he was doing with regards to the proceeds of the oil. None of these African leaders hold him accountable to plow back the proceeds of the oil in Angola for, for an economic emancipation of the country so that those who are poor are able to be uplifted for the development of the country. We don't have African leaders holding one another accountable. When we speak of elections, leaders fight. Let's, we're going to talk about elections for a moment. We're going to talk mm-hmm. about elections and the value thereof in, in expressing open, close quote, the will of the people. The time is 21.25, dear friends. Advocate Tapiwa Chadia is an Afro-expert, legal practitioner, and transnational activist. The evening's conversation on Global Focus, the segment in which we are now, is the economic community of West African states. The summit's outcomes, this is a summit that took place in Accra, Ghana, July 3. This is last week or thereabout, and we are engaging some of the talking points from that, including but not limited to the outcomes in relation to the bloc's stability relative to the military coups that had come to characterize the region in recent times. And just on that point, I think this is a good time to invite listeners. Johannesburg, 714-2006. That's 011-714-2006. That's a WhatsApp voice note facility as well as the message facility. Please take time to send us a message and engage our guest advocate, Tapiwa Chadia. Before we go on to elections, um, Tapiwa, let's actually just look at the ECOWAS issues right now. We talk about certainty, legal certainty, certainty of instruments of democracy or processes of democracy and the sanctity, perhaps, shall I say, of the rule of law. Blaise Compaore ousted in 2014 because he wanted a constitutional change so that he could at the time extend what would be his 27-year rule to perhaps become a 30-year rule, a 40-year rule, a lifetime. Who knows? Ousted April this year. April this year. This is what, three months ago even. Found guilty for the murder of Thomas Sankara. Now, 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 yesterday or two days ago, he returns to the presidential palace for a summit or a conversation on reconciliation. I mean, optically, what does that look like? Optically. This is somebody who's now been charged, found guilty, should be spending the rest of his life in prison. He's now in the presidential palace engaging questions of reconciliation. And the ink has hardly dried in that sentence that says he should be spending the rest of his life in prison. The optics of that. That, that, that is the serious issue that we have. You know, when, when we speak of, of, of Burkina Faso, you know, we, we we cry a lot because we had a complex situation in the country, you know, where we had a complex situation and, and where President, you know, Kabore, he was deposed. And and when we look at the trial for for, for, for Thomas Sankara, even the reasons why the military uh, turned their back against him, you know, it is the basics of, of, of demand coming from an African child where the military was fighting, saying, look, we... we we don't have government support when you're fighting the jihadists. You know, there's no military machinery. You know, there's so many Sahel executions in this region. Please come and assist us, you know. But 
the government was not supporting them. We know what happened in 1982 when there was Jean Baptiste uh, Odirego in 1982. You know, we know what happened to Thomas Sankara, how close he was to, 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 to Blasey Compaore. We know what happened to him. We know about the mass protests. You know, we know what happened to Michael Cafando. You know, so even even now where we have Paul Henry Demiba, you know, this upper volta, former upper volta country has, has serious issues. And, and it boils down to the legitimacy crisis that we have in Africa, holding leaders accountable. Of course, maybe we don't even have institutions, like legitimate institutions, to hold one another accountable. You speak to me of the ICC, the, the, the International Criminal, Criminal Court. Court. Mm-hmm. It's not legitimate because the very first person we're supposed to be locked in we look at atrocities which were committed in Iraq and Afghanistan. We speak of the UK. We speak of, 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 of the USA. USA is where the Guantanamo Bay, where there are there gross human rights abuses. But those leaders who are committing those atrocities, they are never brought to book. So when we look at the ICC, it mainly focuses on the African people, with people from Kenya, people from South Sudan, people from the DRC. It only focuses on the African child. Then that the Ivory Coast, Sierra Leone, exactly. A librarian, Charles Taylor, exactly. You know, it, it it doesn't save the purpose. You speak of the Egyptian leader. You know, it doesn't save the purpose that we want this to save. I believe that is why, at some point, uh, a president from from the Republic of South Africa led one African leader from from Sudan to go, because. Some of these issues, we are we as Africans, these institutions are meant to, to, to degrade us as Africans. They're not there to serve the purpose they're supposed to serve. I can agree with you on that. I can agree with you on that mm. in relation to, for instance, the ICC question. Mm. But at the same time, are we also not in the same light our own worst enemy? Let's assume that argument is correct, that indeed these institutions are only used as neo-colonial and neo-imperial instruments now that appear good, but in reality hold on to the vestiges of what had come to characterize colonialism and everything before that as to the Africa question. I concede that. But how about the fact that these nations have nonetheless voluntarily signed up to be bound by the rule of law as it pertains to them being subject to these institutions, ICC in this instance, and that South Africa had an obligation in terms of international law to which she voluntarily associated herself, the same thing with the South Sudan, and even as at that point we failed ourselves through our own self-committed obligations to uphold the rule of law as it would be challenged internally or by persons known to have done so externally but find themselves here. Do we not compromise ourselves in that process and then further weaken the institutions that should be holding Africans accountable, albeit among Africans, but also for the sanctity of our societies where the rule of law is position, color, or status blind? Well, we as African countries, of course, by virtue of that voluntary registration, voluntary association to such bodies, to such institutions, we then 
are therefore liable and accountable. As a country, right, based on policy, based on principle, we have to do that. But maybe if we twist the circumstances a little bit and we go to what has been happening with regards to the IMF, you know, because we remember after the aftermath of the World War II, the government intervened extensively in their economies and creating enterprises or planning agencies to foster economic recovery and growth. But after the 1979 UK and USA uh, 1981 elections, there was a new macroeconomic orthodoxy which emerged where we had the IMF coming in and had an adjusted lending where our African leaders, through what was called ESAP, Economic Structural Adjustment Programs, they were going to borrow money voluntarily. When they borrow that money voluntarily, it then makes the whole country liable to pay for that money. When we as African people, we have leaders who go and borrow money from the IMF, we know the terms and conditions of the loan shark IMF. Mm -hmm. What obligation do the citizens have sometimes when there is an unjust law, when there's an unjust circumstances? A very good example is the IMF because when we look at the payment back plan, when you look at the terms and conditions that were set for Egypt, that are the very same ones which were set for Zimbabwe, are for the very same ones which were set for India. Sometimes they just scratch the name off of India and put another name there, Sierra Leone. But this when is precisely faced, why, sorry Tapiwa, I'm, I'm trying hmm. to bring in the next voice from Ekwang in Patrick, but just to try and summarize that point, that is precisely why the African Development Bank should be the immediate go-to institution. That's why Thank the you. BRICS Development Bank, for instance, is precisely there to challenge the Western status quo, the Western Thank instruments. I mean, these are Bretton Woods institutions formed as a as an a pact between Northern yes. between Europe, Western Europe mainly, and North mm. America. Hence, the NATO existence and the Bretton Woods institutions to fund the development of those nations. That's why IMF will always have an American president, and if it's an American yes. president in the IFF, IMF, best believe the World Bank president will be from Europe, vice versa. Mm. The world was not in contemplation, but only in contemplation for the purpose of funding the development of these nations. This then becomes an indictment on the African yeah. Development Bank, certainly on the continent, and the emergence of the Eastern power bloc, BRICS, China, yeah. Russia, India, where most of the world's population now sits, and also two members of the permanent UN Security Council, this then has to be, if not the African Development Bank, the chance for the new Development Bank, precisely for these issues that you have raised. Final comment, 30 yes. seconds. I do want to bring Patrick in on the line. In fact, put him on the line, please, Vinny. Patrick, you can contribute as this conversation goes. Do respond, Tapio. Yes. Hi, good evening, sir. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, good evening and good evening to uh, Professor Taipiwa. Mm. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Elevation of status. I'm professor. sure the advocate thank will you. take being a professor. <laughs> Absolutely. Indeed, but Patrick. Oh, is he our professor? I know from He speaks like one I accept. Okay. He speaks like one I accept. Go for it, Patrick. Uh, my first question I have lost all confidence in anything, everything that is Africa. Africa. I've met a lot of chefs from the Congo. Express the very same uh, sentiment that uh, after uh, they prefer Belgians to uh, <coughs> the current uh, uh, status quo, the current uh, leadership, African leadership, all of Africa. And my best question, my first question to you, sir, why is it that uh, Ghana, having at, uh, attained independence in 1957, 
followed by Nigeria and so on and so on. And we are the last in Africa to get to our so-called uh, freedom or uh, liberation. But now the movement, for me, by logic, it should be us moving up to the north in West Africa to see what a beautiful place Africa is after a decolonization. But instead, I see um, a flock of our people in large numbers coming down to the south. So why? what has gone wrong? Because 65 years of decolonized Ghana, it should be the best place, an example of what a country in Africa could be without uh, white influence and, and so on, yeah. Prof, advocate, choose, go for it. <laughs> the very important thing that he said is that he has lost confidence. I raise my hand, and the rest of Africans raise their hands. You are not alone. Everyone has lost confidence. The major reason is that when, when, when people speak of, of independence, when we speak of the emancipation of the African child, countries taking over power, they don't take all the necessary precautions and measures to have a total and absolute control of the resources in that country. As a result, people negotiate half-heartedly. People negotiate not totally. People don't go and take what belongs to theirs. We then go and negotiate with the enemy. That happened in most of the African countries. So without people being in control of the means of production, we're speaking of labor, we're speaking of factories, we're speaking of the media, even uh, uh, media agency groups. They are very influential in terms of uh, the, 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 the mass communication of, of, of news. They're very important. We speak of, of, of farms. We speak of the agricultural activities. We speak of land ownership. That is very critical and important in terms of development and for a country to move forward. But without those, it then means that we do have the freedom in terms of colonial rule, in terms of independence, but we are not in control of our destiny. We're not in control of the means of production for total economic emancipation. As a result, we remain stone edge scavengers in our own continent. That's why we see corruption in the, in, in, in the countries which attained independence a very long time ago. And trust me, you, every country in Africa is going to follow the very same route that Ghana has traveled, the very same route that Ghana traveled is the very same route that Zimbabwe traveled. When we, as we speak now, South Africa has already put its first foot into the very same trap that all these African countries have been uh, following. We look at the issues of electricity right now. We look at the price of petrol, ignore what is happening in Ukraine and Russia. But where we are now in terms of electricity, in terms of, in, in terms of, of, of the prices of basic food commodities, we then would see that we are facing the same direction as the other countries which we now say they are corrupt and they are uh, downtrodden and they're not being run properly because there are no systems of accountability when you speak of the democratic policies and principles in those countries. Let's listen to some voice notes. 21.40 is the time the conversation that I'm having this evening is with Advocate W. Wachadja. He is an expert on intra-African issues. Let's call it his a transnational activist. Of course, by mere title, he's a legal practitioner. The voice notes, please, Brofini. Sangez, I'm getting worried when you guessed 
wants to be measured on parity if ICC do not take action against Europeans then it is fine for African leaders to kill their own people so no action must be taken since when should be our barometer be the Europeans why can't we have morale of our own forget about that say we are proud that ICC want Africans to treat their own people right so you want African leaders to kill their own people then nothing should be done because when it's done by Americans, it's still fine. No, I refuse to be that. I expect much more from my own leaders. They must do much better. They can even do better than Europeans and Western. Western and European must not be our barometer to see how good we are to ourselves. After all, we're talking about people who are killing their own leaders. Kore in Polokwane. Good evening, brother Songezo. Lizzo from Brixton here. It definitely baffles my mind to hear that an African leader to Santos prefers to be buried in a foreign land, the land of the former colonial power. It really baffles me. So it means all these liberating uh, um, comrades, they just pretending they were not fighting for Africa, they were fighting for their own interests. That's why they prefer foreign, which is they think is better than Africa. They go there for medical attention. What about theirs, where they say everything is all right? Thank you so much. Mr. Advocate Professor Tapiwa Chadia, those two voice notes. Your response? Well, if, if, if you go to the first caller, probably it's an issue of interpretation. But as an African Union, as Africa as a continent, we, we don't have a body that is responsible for making other leaders accountable. Leaders who go and butcher other people, African leaders killing, stealing, and destroying and looting the, the African products. We don't have systems in place. The only system that you are making reference to is the ICC. You know, but when we look at the ICC, like what both you and I are agreeing is that the 45 indict, indicted individuals by the ICC are rebels from 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 uh, Uganda. I know Joseph Kony from Uganda, Omar Al Bashir, Uhuru Kenyatta, Muammar Gaddafi, Lorraine Gabo from Ivory Coast, Jean Pierre Bemba. Former vice president of the DRC. It's only those people. Us as Africans, we have failed. You know, we have failed to put systems in place to hold one another accountable. You know, the, when, when we look at even even uh, the Donald Trump uh, administration in 2020, you know, he 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 had a, a powerful skating attack on the IC, saying that they're not honesty. You know, he said their integrity is questionable. You know, and and. The reason why us as Africans will always be measured on the European standards is because even the democracy that we have now is based on the European standards. Us as Africans, we have different systems. We have the principles of chromogeniture. We have the systems of chieftainships where there will be a chief and with the spirit of Ubuntu where we would say it takes a village to raise a child. We no longer have those systems. We have the new world order. And the new world order, I believe, is not compatible with the African principles and ethos that we have. You know, we were colonized by the former colonial master, but he colonized our minds. We speak of the Stockholm syndrome where we say we have fallen in love with our oppressor. We have fallen in love 
with, with, with the former colonial mass. And as a result, when we see anything that says African, we don't want to go and, and, and improve it. We don't want to hold one another accountable. We no longer believe in ourselves, but we believe in that which was imported into us. Look at the vehicles that we, we love. We don't love our own local products, but we believe in what the former colonial master is done, provides to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm with you. Syndrome. I'm not trying to cut you. You had mentioned elections mm. earlier on. What what are the value of elections on the continent? Here's the context. Final question, and we have about a minute after this. Is democracy as it has come to be deployed on the continent inherently an African thing? In other words, these institutions in the name of democracy, regime change, are they inherently things that are receptive to Africa? In other words, if you contradict or sort of juxtapose that to how leadership evolves in many African communities through chiefs and kings and that it's hereditary and then one replaces one's ancestor, why is that frowned upon? Why can that not be the system that has come to characterize African governments and use what is inherently receptive to us and make it functional for the world in which we find ourselves in? Why is that not nearly as acceptable as what for the most part is a foreign concept, democracy with democratic institutions that model the West and then be judged on that? Could that perhaps, and I'm being controversial, deliberately so, could that not be the basis of all these conversations we are having about poor governance on the continent? You, you, you are spot on, on that, you know, and I'll add on, on, on that because you've already answered half the question. Thank you for assisting me in answering the question. You know, when, when we look at us as Africans, we say a chief, a leader, you can look at all the stories about African leaders. They die in power. They never leave office. There is no succession debate in the African culture. No matter how old a leader is, no matter how old a chief is, he will always be in power. When he dies, upon his death, that's when we speak of the issue of inheritance, inheritance of the throne. That's when we refer to the heirs only at his death. You normally don't replace a leader whilst they're still alive. It is a taboo. That's why it becomes very controversial to speak of, of regime change, to speak of the succession, to have a succession plan in the African context. Zimbabwe is a good example. Uh, Zambia is a good example. Egypt is a good example. DRC is a good example. We have many examples where the issue of the succession debate, is, is, is people don't speak about it. The moment you speak of regime change, they will charge you for treason. It's treasonous, you know. But if we do a direct comparison analysis and say, what is democracy? Democracy is a rule by the people, with the people, for the people. Majority versus minority. When we look at what, what is currently happening now in, 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 in British... 30 in, seconds. In, 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 30 seconds. We have seen that when members of parliament leave, the president steps down, the leader steps down. That is accountability. We don't have that in the African politics. People don't account when anything happens in Africa. So I believe the system that we have is not compatible. Or we as Africans have failed to make it work because we have our eyes on the money, our eyes on the cookie jar. As soon as we get into power, we use that for our own personal gain. 
The conversation could, of course, continue until next week this time. Unfortunately, time is always the enemy, and for that we say thank you for giving us so graciously yours, Advocate Tapiwa Chadia. Thank you for having me. Asante sana. Asante sana. Lala Salama, 2148.